Welcome to the Serialized Short Story Podcast, Secrets Out, by Christopher Chapman. Secrets Out is performed by the author. You can pre-order Secrets Out as an ebook that will play on Kindle, Nook, Kobo, and any iDevice you can get your hands on by going to goingpostalpublishing.com and clicking on the store link. Listener discretion is advised. There are adult situations, violence, and naughty words your mother wouldn't want you repeating to your neighbor. And now, the story continues. Welcome to the Going Postal Cast. I am author Christopher Chapman. This is The House, Part 3, part of the Secrets Out short story collection. So how is everyone doing? I am doing well. This is part three of four of the house. One more to go after this. So that's going to lead to the question, what is coming next? Well, I'm going to tell you what is coming next, and I'm going to do so after the story. So why should I keep you hanging on much longer? Let's get into the story right now. Here it is, the house, part three. And yes, I took the time to fix the voice. Enjoy! Grief, the old man said sadly. I realized pretty quick that what I'd done wasn't right. Even though I was only seven years old, I knew that what I'd done was very bad and very evil. The house, which you'll learn about soon enough, doesn't want no survivors. It turned on me, becoming something different. I was fighting for survival, but I was all alone. All I could think about was killing myself to make it go away. Yeah, I know. Pretty grown-up thought for a child that young. I'm sure that thought wasn't completely my own. Mitch had believed everything he'd said right up until that part about having adult thoughts so young. There was something about it that took away the credibility of his story, which soured the rest. He loved what he'd heard up to that point no matter how bad it sounded. But his talk of inner monologue changed all of that almost immediately. Okay, old man, Mitch said. You had me going for a few minutes there. Thanks for the information, if that's what you want to call it. I'll look into seeing if I can help you in some sort of way, but I think it would be better if we just stopped talking. As he started for the car, he heard the old man calling out to him. You don't know what you're messing with, he said, sounding frustrated. The old man turned, but didn't stop talking. Shit, you like all the rest. Mitch got into the car, setting the stack of papers in the passenger seat. He watched as the old man got into his truck and drove away, moving in front of him to do so. Mitch wasn't great at reading lips, but he thought that he could make out what the old man was saying. He thought that he was saying, You'll be sorry. For some reason, that bothered him. He didn't know why it affected him the way it was, but he genuinely felt hurt by it. He went back home to try to resurrect some of the evening. By the time he got into the house, he was tired and wanted to go to bed. He went upstairs and got into the bed he would normally share with Linda. The last thought he had before drifting off was, I wonder if this is the room where he killed his father. Nine. Mitch didn't look at the stack of papers until the middle of the next day. He'd been so busy with recording that he'd forgotten about the stack. 
It wasn't until he got into the car to go out for a burger that he saw the stack and remembered that the papers were there. He smacked himself in the head, not sure how it could have slipped his mind. He was normally very good at remembering things. To completely forget something wasn't like him. He took some of the papers into the restaurant with him. He went over some of them while he waited for his burger to arrive. He scanned the old pages, careful not to rip any of the delicate paper. He saw that the papers had stories about the various murders that had happened in the house. The closest one was the murders from 25 years ago. That had been the time when Jackson Smith butchered his wife with a chainsaw. That had been gruesome. They found him with the chainsaw sticking out of his own chest. The police said that he had propped the saw and placed adhesive tape around the trigger so that the saw would continue running. He fell forward onto the saw, allowing it to rip into him until the gas had run out. It had done substantial damage to his body, moving around due to the vibration. A neighbor heard the saw running for a long time and called the police. The sad part was that it wasn't the most gruesome murder to happen there. That distinction went to the last one five years ago. He studied the papers, hoping that there was something in there that he could use. Almost all of the newspaper articles were similar to the ones he knew about. He found out that there had been a homicide that had taken the lives of five people 45 years ago, 15 years before the town recognized the existence of the house. The man of the house, Raymond Green, went crazy and killed his wife and three children. He'd use an axe to do his dirty work, a far cry from the chainsaw, but he had taken everything one step further. He had decapitated each and every family member, placing them side by side on the kitchen table, before placing a barrel of a rifle into his mouth and pulling the trigger. Apparently Raymond hadn't found a creative way to kill himself with the axe. No matter how much Mitch examined what happened, he couldn't figure out what could bring people to do such horrific things to their family, then themselves. He started to wonder if it really was something about the house. He thought back to what the real estate agent had said. He'd said something about the house choosing him. Why would the house choose him? There was nothing in the stack of newspapers that could give any credence to the idea of ghosts. There were horrific murders that continuously seemed to take place, but there seemed to be no starting point. When he got to the crime that happened 50 years ago, he froze. He sort of recognized the boy in the picture, mostly because he was seven years old. The caption said that the boy's name was Michael Dillon. He was the lone survivor of the massacre at the very same house that Mitch now lived in. He read the article from start to finish. It was quite long for a simple murder, but they told a story that was different from every other. Despite what the old man, apparently his name was Mike, had told him, the town believed that he had fought against his murderous father and lived, accidentally killing his father in the process. There was nothing about Mike going on a rampage, killing his mother, and then going toe-to-toe -to -toe with his father. The newspaper was quite clear that they believed that Mike had survived his father's fury, which was part true, and killed him in self-defense. Mitch still wondered if there was some sort of cover-up going on. If so, why were they covering it up? and what could be so bad that they felt they needed to. He knew that he didn't have a lot of time to figure that part out. Linda would be back in less than 48 hours, and he had a long ways to go. He gave up for the night soon thereafter. 
He tried to sleep, but kept having strange dreams about the house and all of the things that the old man, Mike, had told him. He thought about things he'd said, including that there was a weapon for him in the basement that ultimately led to his father's death. He sat up in bed, jolted awake by the thoughts from his dream. He was cold because of the layer of sweat that covered his entire body. He looked at the clock and saw that it was about four in the morning. He'd barely been asleep for three hours. He got out of bed and went downstairs. He walked straight towards the basement door, turning on every light in the house as he did. He realized that when he was setting up all of the equipment in the house, he had not gone down into the basement. To his knowledge, he hadn't been in the basement a single time since his arrival at the house. He found that odd, especially since he'd come close to going into the basement on several occasions after his EM meter had picked up faint electromagnetic signals from the area. He stopped at the door, trying to talk himself out of going into the basement yet again. He felt that he needed to go down there and see if there was something that could help piece the puzzle together. He grabbed hold of the doorknob. The metal felt cooler than it should have in his grip, sending a chill up his spine. He tried one last time to talk himself out of opening the door, but he refused to listen. Mike's story kept calling out to him, and he was well aware that he had left bits and pieces out of it. Maybe that was intentional, or maybe it wasn't. He found that his curiosity wouldn't allow him to wait any longer to get the answers. He twisted the knob, hearing the door click far louder than he expected. In the silence of the house, it seemed as if it were a gun going off. He took a deep breath, calming his nerves, then reached inside to find a light switch or cord. He found the switch almost immediately. He flipped it, but nothing happened. He thought about stopping this expedition, deterred by what was happening with the light switch, but he was determined to get to the bottom of it. He ran back into the kitchen and retrieved the flashlight from the top of the fridge. He immediately returned to the basement door to find it closed again. Had he closed the door before going into the kitchen? He couldn't remember. He must have. Mitch opened the door again and turned on the flashlight. He shone the light down the stairs, showing an old wooden stairway that seemed too steep for normal people to go down. It was insanely steep, heading almost straight down. If he were to go down the stairs, he would be in danger of hitting his head against the rock that served as the house's foundation. He would have to duck and use his hands to guide himself down. His heart racing, he shone the light to the floor below. There was a concrete floor that was old and cracked. It looked every bit as old as the house was supposed to be. He didn't know what to do. The stairs and basement looked extremely unsafe. Despite that, his intrigue level was at an all-time high. This was the closest he'd actually come to believing that a house was actually haunted. With everything that he'd already witnessed, and the stories he'd read about in the old newspapers, he actually felt as if he might not be alone in the house. If the old man was right, and the basement had something to behold, then he was going to have to go down there one way or another. He wondered how a seven-year-old could have made it down the steps, but he realized that the steps must have been in much better shape 50 years ago. The steps he saw now might not have been the same steps that had been used then. 
His foot moved forward and touched the first step before he had completely decided what he was going to do. He flinched as something surged through him, moving from his feet to his head. He thought it may have been an electrical current, but further inspection showed that there was no electrical cords that the steps were attached to. He took another step, then another. He used his free hand to press against the wall and rocks to work his way down to the bottom. He was afraid that he was going to miss a step or that one would break and he would fall all the way to the bottom where an unforgiving rock wall awaited him. The boards creaked heavily underneath his feet, but they didn't give way. He continued until he was in the basement. The concrete floor had been added after the house had been built because the ceiling was excruciatingly low. He would have had to have been around five feet tall just to fit in there. Cobwebs littered the basement, as did tons of pellets on the ground that could only be mouse or rat droppings. He used the flashlight to look around the basement. He didn't see anything up ahead. The basement was completely empty. A few metal supports rose from the pavement and pressed against the floor above, preventing the upper floor from crashing down. Other than that, the basement was empty of everything but droppings, webs, and dust. Something caught his eye, stalling him before he could retreat back upstairs. His attention was on the dust. He lowered himself even further, which caused his back to ache, and saw that there was some marks in the dust. He followed the trail with his flashlight. They went all the way to the back of the room. He moved slowly, working his way through thick cobwebs that clung to him. He examined the tracks closely. They appeared to be footprints, but he couldn't tell who they belonged to. They had drugged their feet along the floor, giving him no indication of how big or small the feet had been, nor could he get a look at the prints that the bottom of the shoes would have given off. There was an area at the back of the basement that had no dust, none at all. It was as if something had been sitting where he was looking and had been removed. He couldn't tell what could have been there. All he could think about was what the old man, Mike, had said. There had been a weapon in the basement. A chill gripped his entire body. There was something else. He studied where he was at. According to his estimations, the basement should have been much larger than it was. He was aware that houses didn't always have full basements, but he'd been around the entire outside of the house and it had been built as if there was a full basement. The foundation moved deep into the ground and there were many windows on each side of the house. The wall he was looking at didn't have any windows. The windows he could see were boarded up, but there weren't enough of them. Part of the basement was missing. The wall he was looking at wasn't like the other three walls. The other walls were primarily made of rock, whereas this wall was 100% concrete. His free hand went to the wall, feeling the surface. He half expected there to be a breakaway panel like he used to see in the movies, but there was no give. This wall was real, and had been that way for some time. If there was a mystery concealed in the house, it was behind the wall. Mitch had to find out what was on the other side. 10. A trip to the hardware store gave Mitch the only tool he needed. He held the heavy sledgehammer tightly as he stared at the brick wall once again. His heartbeat quickening, 
He was determined to find out what was on the other side. He swung the sledgehammer against the wall, feeling the impact in his hands and arms. A small chunk of concrete broke loose. The concrete crumbled to the floor below, covering the dust. He slammed the sledgehammer into the concrete again and again. His hands started to hurt almost instantly, a product of him not being used to this kind of manual labor. He ignored the pain as he believed that he was closer to the answers than ever. The only time he stopped was when he realized that this would be perfect to record. It would show the viewers the lengths he would go to for his show. He set up the camera, having difficulty moving down the stairs with the tripod. He made one more trip, bringing down a light connected to the largest extension cord he could find. He was set to continue. After several more minutes of pounding, this time on camera, he finally broke through in one section. He was worried about the concrete above him coming down, but it held tight. He shone the flashlight through the small hole, but saw nothing. He needed to make the hole even bigger. He aimed the sledgehammer and swung again, making the hole larger. After several more swings, the hole was big enough that he could put his entire head through. He wasn't going to do that, however. He wasn't stupid. There was no telling what was on the other side of that wall, and the last thing he wanted to do was leave himself vulnerable to what could be there. He was going to be cautious. As he went, the pieces that broke free got larger. He was making a lot of progress, but his body was exhausted. He was ready to quit, but his determination continued to push him further. He ached and really felt as though he couldn't do it anymore, but he was so close. He bit his bottom lip slightly as he prepared for another blow, then another. He believed that he could do it. Chunk after chunk disintegrated at the impact of the sledgehammer. He could fit his entire upper body through, but he wanted it even larger than that. He wanted to be able to fit a majority of his body through and walk to the other side. There was definitely something back there. He hadn't done this for nothing. Part of his worry was that he would have been wrong about where the basement should have ended and broke through the house's foundation, only to find rock and dirt on the other side. He'd been right when he found open space beyond the wall. He was so close that his mind started to wonder about what was there. He believed that he might find an old Indian burial ground. Hell, he wouldn't have been surprised to find an entire family buried down there somewhere. With one more swing, he had decided that it was big enough for him to go through. He kept the sledgehammer, knowing just how good of a weapon it would be if he ran into trouble. He knew how unlikely it would be to find any trouble beyond that wall. By the look of it, that room had been sealed for many, many years. He suspected that even the old man knew nothing about this room, or he might have mentioned it. Mitch also realized that he might have made it so the old man hadn't mentioned it. He hadn't given him the chance to truly give his side of the story. He had said a whole lot, but Mitch had cut him off rather quickly and had been rude. He regretted that and wished that he had a way to talk to the old man once more. He took a deep breath and moved to the hole. With the flashlight in one hand and the sledgehammer in the other, he moved over the remaining concrete on the floor. He could feel the immediate change in climate. The air was musty and hard to breathe. 
This was the first time that this part of the house had received oxygen in many years. The air he was breathing had been trapped in there for a long time. He was tasting what 50 years of staleness had to offer. He shone the flashlight through the room, which wasn't that large. There had been about eight feet of the house remaining. The actual foundation was visible on the far side. It was what was in front of the wall that made his heart skip a beat. At first he believed that he was excited for what he found. He soon discovered that what he was feeling was fear. He looked at everything one last time before backing up and getting the hell out of there. He wanted to be as far away from the house as possible at that moment. 11. Something wasn't right about that house. Even after what he'd found, he couldn't be certain as to the actual severity of the situation. The things that the old man had said to him were starting to make sense. He raced back to his hotel room, wanting desperately to look at the video feeds to make sure that there wasn't something he'd missed. More specifically, he wanted to view the video feed for the camera that was closest to where the basement door was. He wanted to know who or what had taken something out of the basement. He rewound all of the feeds to the spot he'd last checked. He realized that he hadn't been keeping tabs on the feeds in several days. He glanced at some video, but he hadn't gone through to make sure that everything was okay. He went back to Thursday, the last day that he had really taken a look at things. He started at about four in the afternoon and worked his way into the evening. He watched as the infrared showed some interesting movement. Everything he watched had something in it. There were reds and greens and blues dancing across the screen. This is it, he thought. This is what I've been working so damn hard for. This is the reason why I left the church. This is all real. Welcome back. That was part three of the house, and we've got some, some stuff going on. There's something in that basement. There is something missing from that basement. There is all kinds of uh, tomfoolery afoot, if you ask me. So just a few things got to update you about. Really no change with the secrets out anything. I am still waiting on the ebooks to show up. I'm still waiting on my third copy, my third proof copy, so I can approve it so that that the print copy can be available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and of course, through GoingPostalPublishing.com. So I'm basically at a standstill waiting on everybody else. But because I'm waiting on everybody else, that means that the ebook for incarceration is still just 99 cents. Several of you have already taken advantage of that, but more of you can. It's not too late, people. For a little while longer, it will be available for just 99 cents. Basically, as soon as I see that the Nook store is has gotten their crap together and is available for 99 cents, I'm going to change it and then probably wait another week or two for the Nook store to readjust. So you have some time yet, but right now it's still not available for 99 cents on the Nook store. I am still waiting on that. Fun, fun. Another update to talk about is the progress of my new story. I'm going to just tell you what the name of it is and then how many words I am into it. It is called Hell and Back. Not Helen, Hell and Back. 
and it is 52,000 words. I am into it at the moment. I just eclipsed the 50,000 word barrier just two days ago. Haven't done a whole lot since, just a little over a thousand words a day. And that is what you do when you're a very busy person. Yes. I have a long ways to go in it. I have a lot of plot points I have to tie together and have all kinds of action to go. Right now, it's basically a long novel turning into probably a long novel. I have tr- I have kind of guessed that it's going to be somewhere in the 100 to 110,000 word area, but yeah, it might go a little bit longer than that. Books like this tend to do that. And lastly, I said at the beginning of the episode that I would tell you about what is going to happen. There is only one episode of The House left, and then there are no more stories from Secrets Out. So what's going to come next? Is it going to be the football story that I had talked about? No. And the reason for no is because of the timing of it. Football season is coming up. I wanted to put it out before football season. I'm not quite going to make it on that. So football season, the uh, the start of training camp has actually happened for a few teams. So to do everything that I want to do with the football story, it's just not going to be possible for this year. I had a few deals that kind of, yeah, relying on other people is not fun. It's not fun at all. When you get promises, you get handshakes, you get promises, and it just, oh, it's frustrating. But that just means that now I can set my goals for next year and I can do everything, and I mean everything, that I was planning to do with it for this year, and it is going to be big. It is going to be spectacular. So, in its place... I had previously said that a story was going to come out, and I keep flip-flopping these, but I was going through the draft of the school, and I see that that's actually pretty decent as it stands right now, and I'm going through a fresh batch of edits, and I think that at the end of this edit, I'm only going to have one more edit to go, and it's going to be ready for prime time. So what does that mean for you story people that want to listen to this? What that means is, basically, the podcast will shut down for a month, two, three at the most, and then you're going to start to hear the school. I will start to podcast it, and it'll probably come out shortly after the podcast starts. So that means that there's going to be another book out before the end of the year. Save your pennies, people. I will be having more details about that as they become available, and... Hopefully I'll even have a little bit more info in a week or two, so sometime after the next episode airs. But fortunately, I know of a few places where I can post updates, you know, like um, podcast feeds and um, this website I have, goingpostalpublishing.com, you know. Yeah, Facebook. Um, How about Twitter? Yes, so I'm going to talk about that quickly and then get out of here. Facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing.com publishing. Twitter is at Going Postal Pub. I talked about that website already several times, but you can email me, goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com, and you can tell me how much of an idiot I am for not giving you your football story. Yes, you can do that. I appreciate the cheap shots. You can complain to me. You can yell at me. You can tell me, I will never buy from you again, you miserable excuse of a human being. Okay, I don't want you to say that, but 
yeah, enough on that. So let's get out of here. I'll be back next week with the fourth and final episode of The House, which is the final episode of Secrets Out. So until then, take care. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing.